Good morning. Welcome to the Calling Community Church. We're so excited that you're here today. Look around you if you see, if you think, I think there was somebody that was here last week, but I don't see them this week. If you notice that, that they're missing, go look for them. All right, not right now, but later. Go look for them. Invite them to come back. So we have three weeks, three weeks in between last week and the first Sunday of Advent, which is like the beginning of the Christmas season. Anybody ready for that? Everybody ready for the Christmas? Yeah, Amy's like, yes, she's ready. Anybody just like love Christmas so much you can do Christmas all year long, just leave your house decorated that way? This girl right here. Yeah, I know. I helped clean out your house and she had Christmas stuff stashed everywhere. And so... Um, so Christmas is coming. So we had three weeks, so I was thinking to myself, how could we spend that time together in, while we're waiting? And so I did a little bit of study on what were the last three uh, writings chronologically that led up to the end of the Old Testament before the New Testament came about, for the arrival of Jesus onto the scene. And so one of those, one of those is the story of Esther. And so if you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament of the Bible, right close to Nehemiah, which Nehemiah will be next week. And so I just think it was interesting, the last few things that got recorded before, before the tape went blank for a while, and then Jesus arrives and comes onto the scene. So I did something uh, different than I've done before, and I asked, I asked some women in our church... I said, read the book of Esther and give me, give me your feedback. All right? Let me know what you think. What did you learn? What were your insights from this? And so towards the end of this, I will share with you, and I will not use their names, I will protect them, but, but there's, most of it's really, really obviously positive and good, so they probably wouldn't care if I used their name. But I, don't, I know they don't want the credit for it, but I, but I asked some ladies to do this, and some great, great insight. But one of the first things that I heard was, why is Pastor Brady asking me to read this book? What does he think I need to learn from this book? Am I in trouble? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I guess there are some times if, if, the, if someone says to you, hey, look, you really need to read this passage of Scripture. I think you need to hear this today, all right? Most of the time, it's all an encouragement, not in, in any kind of a correction or condemnation. But God's Word is powerful, and, and it can be used for that way for sure. So the book of Esther, the book of Esther is, the author is really unknown, but they obviously believe that it was a Jewish person who wrote the book, who lived in the, the kingdom, in that area that where the story was written. It's written anywhere between 460 B.C. to 331 B.C. So there's a period of time they believe it was written, but there's not an exact, exact date known. But it was just before the Persian Empire fell to Greece. And so there was a lot going on. And in this particular story, we'll see uh, God's redemptive power and His perfect timing that comes about. One of the main themes of the book is, is not only God's perfect timing, but how He keeps His promises to His people. And there's an overwhelming theme of feasting in this book. They were eating and drinking all the time. One of the ladies that I asked to, to, uh, to uh, read this for me, she goes, these people were partiers and drinkers. There's a lot of that going on. And you know, and the crazy thing is, is it, it's, really, it's really common today. We love 
We love to eat. We love us always like everything is centered around when's the next meal, right? You're already thinking about what's for lunch. Anybody thinking about what's for lunch? Exactly. I know what's for lunch because my wife was putting it in a crock pot today in our house and I can smell it before I left. So I'm looking forward to that. But it also pointed out that the beginning of this festival of Purim or Purim or however you want to pronounce it, but it was a festival that came about as a celebration that once again God delivers his people. Like we're always looking for a reason to celebrate God's deliverance in, in his people. And this was one of those times. So here we got some main characters. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need some help this morning. I need something a little bit different. I need some help. I need a volunteer. You don't have to stay here the whole time, but you can stay here just for a minute. I need someone who is willing to be King Xerxes. Alright? Anybody feel awful kingly today? Anyone? Come on, Jake. Come on up here. Yeah. You know, like, he thinks he's the king of his house. His wife lets him believe it. Yeah, come on up. Alright, then we need. Hey, just bring your wife with you. She can be Queen Vashti, alright? There you go, Megan, step over. There we go. Queen self step over. That's right, baby. You know that. Alright, so, and then give me someone who is willing to be kind of a hero, a Mordecai. Any Mordecai? Brock, do you want to do this? Alright, come on up here, man. Alright, he's volunteering. Alright, so let's just set up on the stage. Set up on the stage, Brock. Come over here with these guys. Okay, set up there. Set up on the stage and have put you up there. Alright, then I need I need the main character. The beautiful on the inside. Oh, there she is. Come on up, Queen Esther. Alright. Alright, get her sit next to Mordecai. You guys are pretty close. Hmm, oddly enough, Mordecai and Hadassah or Esther were cousins. Hmm. Seems appropriate, doesn't it? Because these two. And then there was uh, one other person in the story that, uh, that got a little bit of a press. He was not such a nice guy. Anybody just feeling kind of just not very nice today? Anyone here? You just have to look at me. Steve, Justin will do it. Justin's pretty intimidating. No smiling, Justin. There you go. All right. So here's what I want you to do. All right. I want you to put your hand up like this, okay? Because you're you're like looking up to God and getting help and you're blessing your, your, your cousin Esther. And Esther, you just sit there just like, like this. And put your hands on your chin like this because you're so pretty. Awesome. Alright. And so, uh, who were you? Oh, you were your service as the king. Okay, so put your crown here. <laughs> <laughs> He's the king, all right? And so you should know what to do. Like, speak to the hand. All right? Hand, no smiling, all right? <laughs> grimace on your face, all right? Okay, so I want you to, I want you to get a picture of this, all right? So you can, when, as I'm telling the story, you know, you have Mordecai, who was a cousin of Esther, who was, who was given the, the responsibility of taking care of Esther when she was just a young girl. Esther didn't have any parents. And she needed someone to care for her. So Mordecai took on that responsibility. And he didn't. And he, all, he kept an eye on her all the time. Like, just look at her. Just keep an eye on her. All right, watch her. All right? So he's always got her back. She's always keeping an eye on her. And then Esther, beautiful on the outside, more beautiful on the inside. And one of the ladies pointed out that it was Esther's beauty that got her into the It was her outward beauty that got her foot in the door to the kingdom. But it was inward beauty that showed out and, and brought salvation to her people. Alright, so then you have the king, Xerxes. Uh, he, he's pretty full of himself. Have, he 
loves himself the king. He's in, he's, he's in charge of this huge province. There's 127 different provinces, all the way from um, Egypt to India. It's modern day Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan, all of that particular area. And then we have Vashti, who she she doesn't understand the times because she's not listening to her husband. She has nothing to do with what he asked her to do. And I'll show her just a minute. So she put her hands that way. And then you have Amy. See, that's that look right there. Some of you kids are in trouble. Brady gets that look off on here. Alright, so Haman was uh, Haman loved himself even more than I think King Xerxes loved himself. And so you've got this guy who's kind of the villain in the story who gets some justice at the end. Okay? There you go. <laughs> so, Alright, so you got the picture in your mind? Okay, give it up for our volunteers. So Xerxes became king when he's about 35 years old. Okay? 35 years old, he had about a 21-year reign, but ended up being assassinated by some of his father, some of his friends, and there's like closest people in his kingdom. And they turned their back on him and they and they ended up assassinating him. In the third year of his reign, he spent 180 days showing off all of his vast wealth. 180 days. That's quite hard. Finished off at the end. And here's Queen Esther still with her smile on. Uh, finished off with a seven-day party where the wine flowed like water. Everyone had a golden goblet to drink from. And every single golden goblet was different than the other. And it said that the king allowed them to drink as much as they wanted. And then it says at the, at the seventh day, the king was high in spirits because of the wine. And I wrote next to my notes, duh, seven days worth of drinking. And at the end of that, he's like high in spirits. And he has this great idea. Hey, let's bring my wife. Let's tell her to come. That she's having her own party. But he wants to interrupt her party and bring her in front of all of his friends to show her off. And in that culture, it was probably, the truth was probably real. She would probably be dressed pretty scantily. And she would come before this because she says that she was very beautiful. And Queen Vashti said, no. It was unheard of in that culture. Unheard of. And she said, no. And because of that, the king was very angry. And so he, call, he called his his counselors around him, he got wise counsel, and men had come with him, and they said, said, what must we do about the situation with Queen Vashti? How should we handle the situation? Well, they, they said that he should, he should announce a decree that um, she was never to come before the king again. She was no longer to be queen. And they were concerned that if this gets out, if this goes viral, on social media, people start hearing about what Queen Vashti did, and she gets away with it. All the other women in her position, the power and the influence, are going to do the same exact thing. We cannot allow that to happen. So they actually issued a decree saying that the husband was in the head of his wife, and that that's the way it's supposed to go down. And so they wanted to squelch that very quickly. Well, at the same time, there was this guy named Mordecai, okay? Mordecai was the, uh, was the good guy. Mordecai was a Jew. He was taken into this area because of, he was taken into Babylon because of being held captive. So he was in exile from his, from his home country, the 
And while he was there, he had charge of Esther, or Hadassah. And this was his responsibility to take care of her. She had no one to take care of her. And that's what he did. Well, after Vashti was, was um, removed from her position, they decided, these wise men, that they would go out and they would look at all these different provinces and they would find all the most beautiful women, young virgin women, and bring them to the king. And so they could undergo beauty treatments for a full year. And then they would come before the king and do would choose. And I think this is kind of funny too. And the king thought to himself, this is a good idea. <laughs> and so that's what they did. And so they bring all these women. And so um, Esther, who at the time is a Jewish girl, and Mordecai tells her, don't, don't let anybody know your true nationality. If you do, it might not go well. Don't tell them who you are. But just go. Go and be obedient. Listen, do what you're told. And so she actually wins the favor of one of the, the eunuchs that was in charge of there of the girls. And if you want to know what a eunuch is, just understand that he's a very unique guy and, and safe to be around a bunch of beautiful women. And, you, and if kids, if you want to know more about that, ask your parents. Good luck with that conversation. That would be fun. So you can let me know how that goes. So... Esther wins favor, and she's given the best place. She's given like the penthouse suite of the of the, uh, the place there. So she's set away, and she undergoes beauty treatments for a full year. Like you can't even go before the king until you go through this process for a full year. Girls, why are you always taking so long to get ready? For crying out loud! Hey guys, this is amen. Out of that, guys. Amen. Unless you're sitting right next to a girl, and you can get hurt. You can help but for a full year, they go through this process. Now, everywhere that Esther went, she won their favor. And obviously, she won the favor of the king. In the tenth month of the seventh year of Xerxes' reign, now think about this. This story started in his third year of his reign. Now it's in the seventh year, and Mordecai happens to be in the right place at the right time, and he overhears an assassination plot about some of the guys who are the guards there at the gate. And he goes and he tells Queen Esther, because Queen Esther was queen at that time. She had won the favor of the king. And Mordecai goes to her, shares the plot with him. And then it says that all of this is written down in the king's autobiography, in a sense. Like in the annals of the king, the story is written down about what Mordecai has done. Now this is important, because this is going to come into play later on. You think it's, just a, it's a detail that's there and you pass on, pass over it, but it's going to come to play here shortly. So these two guys, they get, they get told on, and they get impaled on poles. Now, that is as bad as what it sounds like. In, in, one, in one version of, of Scripture, it actually says hanging, but it's basically the same idea. They hung them, not by their neck, they hung them physically on top of a pole. It's like sticking a skewer through them to make sure that the, they were made a, a, uh, an example of. You don't go against the king. Now, Haman... This the guy that I showed you earlier. Haman was honored at that particular time by the king. And people were ordered to bow down to him. And everywhere he went, people would do so because they had fear of him except for Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow down to him because Mordecai was a Jew. And Mordecai knew that the only person he would ever bow down to is God himself. So Mordecai refused, and it made Haman mad. So Haman not only wanted to destroy Mordecai, but he wanted to get rid of Mordecai's people too. 
because he discovered who Mordecai was and he realized that this group of people living in their, in their empire were different. They were set apart. They didn't act like everybody else around them. They didn't follow the same customs. They were aliens and strangers living in this land. And Mordecai didn't like that. And so he devised this scheme in the 12th year of the reign of Xerxes. He convinced the king to destroy all of the Jewish people. And so King Haman, or not, not King Haman, but King Xerxes gave Haman his signet ring in order for him to be able to seal the deal. And once you use the ring to seal the decree, whatever it is that's written, cannot be undone. It's, it is what it is. It's the word of the king. And so this, this, this plan was put into place to destroy all of the Jewish people on the 13th day of the 12th month. When Mordecai found out what had happened, it says that he tore his clothes and he put on like a burlap sack, sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he wasn't allowed into the king's gate because no one dressed that way could enter. When he got word to Esther um, about what was going on, or when Esther found out about Mordecai, she tried to get him to change his clothes, but he refused. And so she sent someone to find out, like, what's really going on? Why are you acting this way? So Mordecai told the person everything, and the story got back to the queen. And this is what Mordecai asked her to do. He said, I want you to go before the king, beg for mercy, and plead for the people. So if you had the book of Esther, right, I want you to look at Esther chapter 4. Okay? Esther chapter 4. So I want to, I want to read this from Scripture. Starting at verse 9. Esther chapter 4, verse 9. So Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, summoned by the king, that he has one law. And that law is that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. And she said, 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. When Esther's word report was reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, and this is one of like the key verses of this book, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And then Esther sent this reply back to Mordecai. Go gather together all of the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, for three days, night or day, and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. Even though it's against his law, if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's on the third day after they prayed and they fasted, she went to the king and she stood and she waited. And when the king saw her, he had favor and he extended his scepter to her. And when she went to him, he said, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, whatever it is that you want. So she asked to have, of course, a banquet. They're always eating, always drinking. So let's have a banquet. And so they did. But she wanted Haman to come along. When the time came for her request, she, she, I think she, she didn't have the courage to ask right then. She said, hey, can we do it again tomorrow? Let's have another banquet. So Haman went out that day. It says, I love this, this part of the story. Haman went out that day. And he was happy. He was high in spirits. So he had no idea what was going on. 
He had no idea what was about ready to happen in his life. He was so happy. He called all of his friends together, his wife together, and he started to boast about his vast wealth, it says, his many sons, and how the king had, had elevated him above all of the others. And then he said, and one more thing, Queen Esther has invited me to a second banquet. Oh, he was so proud of himself. You could just see Haman patting himself on his back. But yet, even having all of that still wasn't enough for him because he was still angry because Mordecai refused to bow down. So his wife and his friends suggested that he set up a pole reaching 75 feet into the air and have Mordecai impaled on that pole the next morning, right? So this happened in the evening. It's going to be happening the next morning when Mordecai was going to go to his death. And listen how God intervenes once again in just the right time. Look at chapter 6, starting at the beginning of the chapter. It says, That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read it to him. It's kind of like this idea of like, hey, bring me my story. Just come and read it to me about me. I want to hear. I want to know. What, what great things have I done? And it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bithana and Teresh, the two of the king's officers who were guarding the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate him. So the king asked, what honor and recognition has been given to Mordecai for this? Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on a pole that he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? This is this awesome like, you know what happens? You know what happens. Haman, who does he think is going to be honored? It's going to be him. He's pat himself on the back. So not only am I going to pat myself on the back, but the king is going to honor me. He's too better to be honored than me. Well, it says, and then Haman got to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe for the king that the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let the robe, let the, them robe the man and the king delights to honor and lead him on a horse through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Give the robe, the horse, and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Who sits at the king's gate? Do not at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Can you imagine what was going through Haman's mind at that particular time? Listen, have you ever had something happen to someone else and think to yourself, "Why them? They don't deserve that. It should be me." They get that, and that's a tough feeling to work through, for sure. And so Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city. So can you imagine the look on Haman's face the whole time he's doing this? Oh, I can't believe he's going to put on this fake smile and act like this was some great idea. I did not like this at all. And then Haman had to proclaim, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman 
rushed home with his head covered in grief and told his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. And they warned him, Mordecai's going to do this. It's not going to end well for you. And they were right. It didn't end well. So Esther then had the opportunity to meet once again. Haman had to go on from there. Go ahead and go to the banquet, knowing what he knows and what happened to Mordecai. And he goes and he thinks, well, at least Queen Esther still wants me to come to the banquet. This could end, out, end up okay. So he went, and the truth came out. And Haman received justice. He was actually impaled upon the pole that he had extended for Mordecai. Justice is when you get what you deserve. And that can be a double-edged sword when you think about it. Think about when you get what you deserve. Esther was then later given Haman's estate. She went before the king uh, again after all this happened to still beg for his people. Because remember, that decree was signed with the king's uh, verdict and it, it was sealed and it was going to go out to the, to the provinces. And they couldn't, they couldn't stop what was going to happen. But the king said, Mordecai, you could write a new decree. You could overcome this and this is what we suggest you do. So Mordecai wrote a whole new decree to tell the Jewish people to prepare themselves for battle, to get ready for your enemy that's going to come against you. And so that is exactly what happened. And it said that uh, the Jewish people fought against their enemies, the ones who had hated them, and they were given victory. Haman's ten sons that he bragged about, they all died in this battle. And every single one of them were impaled on poles by Queen Esther's order. But you know what? Sometimes in the Bible you wonder, wow, that is harsh. I don't get that. Why, why would she be so mean? Why would that be the case? And that, that's just a question I guess you'll have to answer God. Huh? There may be some truth in there somewhere. Mordecai was given a position of prominence and power in the kingdom. And it said people feared him and they fought alongside the Jews because of Mordecai's influence. Some even chose to follow the Jewish teachings because of Mordecai. And as a result of that, they decided to create this festival of Purim that they would be celebrated still to this day. And you know they still celebrate this festival as Jewish people here in, the, here in um, the world that we live in. And it's celebrated by feasting, with wine, blessings to the poor, and giving gifts to one another. It sounds like a combination of two holidays we're getting ready to celebrate, right? Where we celebrate together. But you know what? We celebrate as we look back and we see what Christ has done for us. We're thankful for that. Thankful for what we've been given. And we celebrate the birth and the coming of Jesus. Alright, so let's finish up our time together with some observations that I got from the ladies in our church. For one, Esther was quietly obedient throughout this whole story. And God gave her in just the right place, or put her in just the right place at just the right time. I want you to think about that. And he gave her just what she needed to do what was necessary. I want you to think about where you are in your life right now. Think about where you are, not just sitting here, but in your life right now, you are there not by coincidence, not by happenstance, not by chance. You're there at this particular moment. And so my encouragement to you is obey God with the very next thing he is asking you to do. Okay? Does that make sense? The very next thing you feel like God is asking you to do, obey Him. He will give you what is necessary. Maybe not what you want, maybe not what you think you need, but He will give you what is necessary. The next observation, she was beautiful on the inside and the out. She was willing to put her life on the line in order to save her people. 
And God was with her the whole time. You know, in the story, God is never mentioned by name in the story, but God is present throughout this whole thing. The king and Haman were very taken by their possessions. Haman was a boastful man. Do we love things? This is my observation. Do we love things more than the one who gives us all things? Pride comes before the fall. Haman exalted himself before men and ended up experiencing great humility. Another observation. What I find interesting about the book of Esther is that it does not really speak of God, but as you read it, it is clear that God had a plan for Esther's life from birth. Do you believe God has a plan for your life from birth? From conception. Just like the times that we feel that God isn't listening or He isn't there, He is there and He's in control. You ever had some times in your life where you felt like, hello, is this thing on? God, are you there? Are you listening? Do you, God, do you know what's going on down here? Do you, do you, have you forgotten about me? But even in the midst of all that, it says God calls us to be obedient. It is up to us to heed that call. God can and will use anyone to accomplish His will. That's good news for you and me. Last observation from this one particular person. I believe that there are times in our lives where we put, we are put in an uncom uncomfortable situation. We're being set up to carry out the will of God. And staying on the path is not always easy. It's not even really always what we want. But in the end, if we do, we are greatly rewarded more than we could ever hope for. Did you also see the judgment of God in this book, in this story? Where justice came and people got what they deserved. That's not a friendly topic. We don't like to talk about that a lot. Church, we want to make it more kind of feel good. But God's judgment is real. Consequences for our actions are real when our consequences go against God and His what He wants for us. Another great uh, observation from this one particular woman. She said, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but notice this idea of honor and respect. Did you see all throughout the story people were honoring and respecting those in authority, except for Vashti, who in the beginning chose not to, and we can wrestle with that a little bit in our culture to think, like if we look at it from our view, like what husband in his right mind would ask a woman to do that? That's not even right. And you're right. In our culture, you're correct. That's not right. But this is a whole thing. We're looking at a different, we're looking at a different lens here. This is a different culture, a different time, a different place. But we can learn from it as well. This honor and respect. This idea of thinking that all authority has been placed over me for a purpose. And in authority, I find an umbrella of protection the elements of a storm. When husbands love their wives the right way, they provide a, a protection, an umbrella over them. There's peace there, right? In the midst of the storm. Now, sometimes as husbands, we're, we're just not very smart. We run off with the umbrella over here to do our own thing. We leave our wives out in the storm. We can learn that that is not what God has called us to do. We don't have to be like Xerxes, for sure. He should have honored his wife differently. We can learn that we need to honor our wives differently. We just need to trust God and His path that he, has, that he has got us on. And He's walking beside us. I believe Esther had peace in honoring her authority. Students, children, listen to me. There is peace and a promise from God when you honor your mother and your father. There just is. There's no way around it. And when you walk outside from that protection... You will suffer some type of harm. The Bible says things will go well with you. You honor your mother and your father. And you'll live a long life. 
There's a beautiful promise that when we sit underneath that, that protective element of authority, there's a blessing. In, in work, and in school, or whatever, that's true. Another observation. Esther was a strong woman. She saved her people. But why is it that she felt like she needed to hide her identity in order to do it? It's a good question. Now, I think about this, though. Esther was being obedient to Mordecai. Mordecai had a purpose for that. Like, there's a reason why he didn't want her to, to reveal her identity, her, her nationality. And so she was just walking in obedience. And then, afterwards, the people, the Jewish people were so, they were so unkind to their enemies. Now, they were protecting themselves, okay? They had the right to bear arms, if you will, to protect themselves from their enemy. And they were not very loving towards the end. But once again, we're looking at a different lens. We're looking at a different culture. God isn't mentioned, but He's present. Even though I think about school, the setting we're in here, God cannot be mentioned corporately during throughout the day at school. But God is present because He's with those who are walking with Jesus. If you're a teacher, God is present in your classroom. He is present in you. So He's here, even though He can't be mentioned by name. And then also this thought, we're put where we are for a purpose. One, one lady I asked to, to, to respond to this, she said, Can I just respond for such a time as this? I wish I could crawl back into my bed, pull the covers over my head, and have you wake me up when it's all over. You ever had a day like that? But the whole time, God is in control, even when it seems that evil will prevail. Don't give up at just the right moment. You'll see God breathe a word of victory, and you'll blow away the enemy. Surround yourself with godly counsel. Don't forget what he has brought you through. And we are all called for such a time as this to reach those... Here, I want you to think about this. We're called to reach those who are still in captivity. There's still people that we live around that don't know that Jesus has already paid the price for their freedom. And they're waiting for us to tell them. And then here's my last two thoughts. Go ahead. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. Right? So let's, let's zero down to this moment right here. Thinking about the story. Isn't it good to know that we don't have to clean ourselves up for a full year before we can come before the Lord? Like, He is the ultimate King. And He's not waiting for you to get your life all together, for you to come to get it all together. Isn't that good news? That's good news for me, because if that was the case, I would never be here. I would have never walked in the door. But I came messed up, dirty, and the King received me unto Himself. We are welcome in His presence, just as we are. You can come in sackcloth and ashes into His presence. Weeping and wailing when God takes us. It's not to say that there might not be a period of preparation for all of us as we discover the calling that He has for us and as we begin to learn where He wants us to serve Him. There's a time where we all need to pray and to fast, to set ourselves apart to God, what is it you want me to clean up, get rid of, in order so I can fully be yours? There seemed to be a cycle in my life of a year at a time where God was calling me to do something different. And I had to wait a year to get to that place. We don't observe the festival of Purim in our culture, in our, in our Protestant Christian culture, but we are called to remember the great salvation that is provided to us by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sin. Jesus fought our enemy for us and gained the greatest victory of all, right? Death is defeated. Eternal life is the spoils of that war. And that belongs to you and me. 
They honored Mordecai and Esther. We worship Jesus, who is the name that is above all names, the only name that can set us free. He is the only way to the Father. And you know what? This is my thought. This is my greatest thought when it comes from this story. Is Jesus is the ultimate golden scepter. We don't have to wait for the king to extend his scepter so that we can come to him. Jesus has already provided the way. So for us to come boldly, it says in scripture, to the throne of grace, we can come to the king. We can ask him for whatever it is that we need from him. And he's willing to listen because of what Jesus has done for us. Ladies and gentlemen, that is good news.